Hello friends, welcome to, welcome back to A Runner's Life podcast. In this episode, I speak with Fiona English. I was really inspired by a post that she put up recently talking about her experience of going from 70 marathons from nearly six hours down to 3.27 to earn a Boston qualifying time. We talk about what that was like in terms of the journey that she went through, why Boston was so special to her, and also the news that she was pregnant. However, prior to this podcast going out, Boston Marathon had a policy where they had a strict no deferral policy across the board. And she put out an amazing letter, putting her case forward. However, we must note that there were people that came before, uh, such as Alicia Patterson, who challenged the BAA during her pregnancy. And we also need to talk about other women, such as Sophie Power, and the work that she did in influencing the London Marathon and the Berlin Marathon to change their policy. The idea of this podcast was to join in all the voices of everyone that's supported, shared and lobbied the BAA and the work that you've done has been incredible because literally 15 minutes after we recorded this conversation, when I say the BAA, that refers to the Boston Athletic Association announced that, that they would accommodate enhancements pertaining to runners who are expecting or have recently welcomed a child into their families. Pregnancy, postpartum deferrals of entries will now be available for registered participants at all BAA events including the Boston Marathon, the 5K, the 10K and the Half Marathon. It's fantastic news and as we go into the conversation, one of the things that Fiona talks about is the hope that this will extend into the other World Marathon majors because I think Boston is held in such high regards due to its history and what it stands for. So what we really need right now is for the other remaining majors to step up. So that includes New York City Marathon, that includes Chicago Marathon, that includes Tokyo Marathon. Three down, three to go. I think all the work that everyone's done to lobby this has been fantastic. There is no denying that the impact that Fiona's letter had, but she would be the first to admit that if it wasn't for the people that came before, such as Alicia, such as Sophie, within the recent times, but then also looking back to Bobby Gibb, you could talk about Julia Chase Brand, you could talk about Patty Dillon, you could talk about so many other women in the sport. You're basically standing on the shoulders of giants leading it forward so it feels like a continuation so in the conversation we talk about things that you can do to support but let's head to the conversation with fiona hi fiona welcome to a runner's life podcast how are you doing hi marcus thanks for having me no problem i like many people saw your recent post and i really wanted to talk about it we're going to go into it. It's in regards to the Boston Marathon and the work you did to go into it and the situation that followed it. But before we do that, the question I always ask my guest is, what does a runner's life mean to you? So for me, running is a massive part of who I am. And I often try and detract my identity from being a runner, but I don't really think it's possible. My um, friendship groups are built on it. My health is built on it. My mental well-being is built on it. And I think that's really interesting. Obviously, one of the things we're going to talk about today is I'm pregnant at the minute and how that feels to navigate running through such a different point in my life is, to be honest, it's quite fun. It's like being a new runner all over again for the first time, which I'm going to say is a positive thing rather than just I'm achingly slow and everything hurts. <laughs> yeah. How far along are you? Uh, seven months. Okay. Are you excited? Yeah. I think it's a, a joy, an enjoyable mix of excited and terrified at the same time. 
just like just like a really good race that you've been really looking like forward to and training hard for same thing <laughs> <laughs> but this is a this is a race that like has no end date to it when the kids come it's a continuous <laughs> race <laughs> yeah it's like the world's worst ultra marathon but also the best one at the same time yeah <laughs> i feel like that as a dad it's just like a constant 24 hour ultra marathon um, <laughs> i don't want to make it seem bad like as a parent but yeah it's yeah you know it's like you've heard all these an endurance about. event like no other right i'm ready exactly. for it <laughs> i don't think i can better that pun to honest i think that that's the, that's that's definitely a good one to sort of look at it to honest so we talked a little bit about yourself and your running i mean how did you get into running so truthfully i um literally woke up one day when i was about 23 was overweight really unhealthy and thought this isn't who i thought i'd be and so as normal, rational people did uh, and do, I signed up for a marathon in nine months time, um, literally couldn't run for 10 seconds at the time, but was living in like really remote England and had a bit of a mad job at the time. So just thought, well, either I'm going to turn my life around now or I'm not. And so I bought a book online and followed the training program in the book, would write out what I'd done as my sessions and went from couch to marathon in nine months. And so that's how I guess running started for me was more than anything, trying to prove to myself that I could be the kind of person I wanted to be. And have you proved just that to yourself? <laughs> I think that's I think that's the best thing about running yeah. is you're constantly learning things about yourself. It's far more than a physical journey for me. It's definitely a journey in feeling confident in who I am and feeling really happy with who I am. Yeah, I agree. I think in one aspect, we look at it in terms of doing things, these outward things, but I think the more I run, the more I, I can see the strengths that I have inwards as well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I think that that's especially true for me when it comes to distance running. So when we start to look at marathons and ultra marathons or even the dedication required to train for a road marathon, I'm definitely more naturally suited, I think, to ultra marathons and going very slowly. But the kind of dedicated consistency that is needed in road marathon training teaches me probably more about myself than anything. Yeah, absolutely. It definitely does teach us a lot. And you talked about going from couch to marathon and now 17 marathons later, I know this probably could be like an hour long talk plus, but can you take us from going from 5.47, going down to the Paris BQ of 3.27, please? Yeah, of course. So that very first marathon that I mentioned, so nine months of going from not running to five hours, 47 uh, and 45 seconds. Um, definitely, it's probably the marathon I'm most proud of that very first one, because I didn't have a running community. I run completely by myself. Um, it was really hard. And I think to to anyone who is out on a marathon course for a long time, like, that's an incredible achievement um, to be able to put your body through that much forward momentum for that long a time. I guess after that, I got into parkrun. So brilliant, free community event that provided, I guess, consistency as we would now describe it of knowing that every week I was going to turn up and try and run 5k and being the slightly, as you've probably already guessed from that statement of, I just signed up for a marathon, a bit of an all or nothing person. I ended up doing Ironman because my husband wanted to do it before he was 30. And I was like, well, if you're doing it, I'm not going to like sit, sit at home and wait for you. So I'll do it too. Um, so that was my second marathon, amusingly. Um, 
which I think makes me like the only person to ever get an hour's PB in the marathon during Ironman. Um, (laughs) (laughs) And then from there, I found, I guess, a running community of people who maybe even I would describe it as normalized marathon running. And so started running with like various London communities and had opportunities through that to race Berlin, for example, managed to break four hours for the first time and then started on the journey for good for age. And I guess the thing that is so different for the women's marathon compared to the men's marathon at amateur level is that good for age and BQ are quite different. So for me, good for age seemed really hard, but achievable, which back then, even a year ago, maybe a BQ didn't for me, it just seemed too far. And so I had five attempts at trying to get a good for age time, eventually doing it about three weeks out of lockdown in 2021. Yes, eventually doing it by about a a minute and 10 seconds. And then I changed jobs. So I um, I used to run a theatre. That was really hard during a pandemic, I would say. And I chose to take a career break just of two months and used that as the start of really dedicated training for Paris Marathon last year. So just gave time to my training in a way I never have before and told no one what time I was going to run. But in my head, trained for 3.33. So it wasn't, again, training for a BQ, was just training for a time I felt I deserved. I had run 16 marathons at that time and was very proud of having a good age, but felt I could go faster. So yeah, I worked really hard for about four and a half, five months. And then on Paris Marathon Day, had the race of my life, took 17 minutes off my PB, had just the best day as well. It was just really fun. Just never hit a wall. It was the perfect race. That's incredible to hear it. But I think people listening might think, okay, we've got two Brits. Surely London Marathon is the one they should be focusing on. What is it about the Boston qualifier that sort of spoke to you? I think for me there's something so in all of our cause about Boston being the ultimate marathon and I think it's so entrenched in the history of marathon running as well London is amazing it's my home city running the marathon here is an absolute honor but (laughs) it's not Boston Um, and they're two very different things I think London is a wonderful race in terms of the amount of money it raises and the kinds of people who feel it's accessible to them And the first time I ever ran London, I actually ran it as a guide to a blind runner. And that was incredible as an experience in my home city. But Boston has a, I mean, I'm a feminist. I'm very passionate about women running. It is intrinsically linked to women and the marathon. So that has one really important part to me that I would be able to run in the same race as Bobby Gibb or Catherine Switzer, like to be in that field matters to me. But I probably also never would have thought that I would be able to achieve Boston. And so it feels so special because there's a fast girl label I feel I can give myself now that can never be taken away from me by being a Boston qualifier. It's so true. Like that will always be in your record. Like whenever anyone asks you your time, regardless of where you are in your life, you can just be like, that's my best time. And it's it's so easy, isn't it, in marathons to constantly chase a faster and faster time. But that line of Boston qualifier, I feel for me, I don't I don't need to go faster than that. I'm so delighted that I have achieved that standard 
that for me is a real accolade that means once again, I can ease off the pressure of constantly chasing times and just, I guess, sit and celebrate in the journey that I've been on. Yeah, that makes sense. And I know you're an ultra run as well. And although we won't go into that in this conversation, I really want to go back to the reason why I was inspired to speak to you for this podcast. As we've alluded to, you're pregnant and you've also got the BQ and running this Boston Marathon this year in 2023 won't be possible. As it stands, the BAA, they basically said that deferment of entry into next year's races will not be accepted for any reason. So this is basically, you put your post out there, no hashtags, not expecting a lot and it's been an amazing reaction. And for those who haven't seen the post, can you do us a favour, please, and just read out like what your open letter was stating, please? Yeah. Well, I guess the important thing then before I start is just to say, this was my third time messaging Boston. So I'd reached out to them twice before this saying, I'm, uh, well, you're here in the letter, but um, yeah, I didn't, I didn't post it expecting it to get the traction it did I just wanted to truly lay out how I felt and for at least someone to hear that even though I never thought Boston would so I'll read for you dear the Boston Marathon my name is Fiona and I was due to run the Boston Marathon for the first time in April 2023 after 17 marathons I amazingly through hard work and determination qualified running a Boston qualifying time at Paris Marathon in April 2022, running 3.27.05, and on that day, taking 17 minutes off my marathon PB in the process. It took dedicated hard work and guts, all things I know you value and are committed to. I put my name in the drawer for Boston, knowing that the cutoff time was 3.30 and that it might not be enough, but it felt a real privilege to be allowed to even apply and a real high moment in my running journey which has seen me go from non-runner to running a marathon in 5.47 all the way through to that previous PB of 3.27.05 BQ. And I got in, was overjoyed and beyond proud of myself and proud of all the women that I could show up for on the day. Because for me, one of the biggest things about my personal running journey is I can mark the path for others. Hey girls, if I can do it, you can do it. Follow me. Meanwhile, in my personal life at the age of 34, I just found out I was pregnant with my first child. During that first trimester, my husband and I told no one, and I managed to still race all over the world, fighting off terrible morning sickness to run UTMB OCC, infinite trails in the Austrian Alps, the Maverick South Downsway Ultra, and the London Marathon, because I wanted to show up as I always do for myself and others. I'm due to give birth two days before Boston Marathon in April 2023 the same day as I would have to pick up my bib number if I was running. Obviously, running the marathon isn't just impossible. It would be physically dangerous for everyone involved. So I tried to defer my place. I contacted the Boston Athletics Association to ask about deferral. Obviously, I can't run the marathon and was met with the coldest brick wall ever. If I'd bought insurance, I could try and get my money back. I had bought insurance. I submitted a major injury request, the only tick box I could find, and it was rejected. So accordingly, Boston Marathon, I'm unable to withdraw. If I withdraw, I lose the full money I registered with, including my insurance money I additionally bought, and I lose my qualifier. That means postpartum, I will need to firstly find the money to replace the money lost to re-enter, secondly, run a qualifier again, 
and third, attempt to enter again, all while managing life as a new mother. The BAA states that its mission is to promote a healthy lifestyle through sports, especially running, so I can't understand the disconnect. Why are you so alienating a section of the population, both financially and through archaic systems that not only discriminate against women, but actively make it a costly process to be a woman? In the past year, thanks to huge campaigning support from organisations like She Races, both London Marathon and Berlin Marathon changed their policies to allow a pregnancy and postpartum deferral policy. It seems obvious. And Boston, you too have a history of being able to see you need to change old male-centric rules. After all, you've gone from physically barring women from entering to trying to rip them out of races to now actively working for equal split start lines. And I'll finish by quoting the pioneering women who have gone before me, showing you, Boston Marathon, that women deserve the opportunity to run, Bobby Gibb and Catherine Switzer, and urge you to not only refund me my entry fee, but to change your policy. Allow me to defer my place and be allowed to take up my earned place in 2024, not just for me, but women everywhere. And so I quote Bobby Gibbs, I ran the Boston Marathon out of love. I believe that love is the basis of all meaningful human endeavour, yet it was a love that was incomplete until it was shared with others. I thought about how many preconceived prejudices would crumble when I trotted right along for 26 miles. And Catherine Switzer's, when I go to the Boston Marathon now, I have wet shoulders. Women fall into my arms crying. They're weeping for joy because running has changed their lives. They feel they can do anything. Thank you for sharing that. It's really powerful to hear it in your words. And I could really feel the emotion and just like the pull. How does it feel to like read it out? Because it's one thing to put it down, but then it's another thing to say and hear it out loud, even though it's your words. I think I wrote it in one sitting, <laughs> um, purely from emotion, because Boston matters to me. Women on start lines matter to me. And the discrimination that I feel exists and perpetuates so many races matters to me. So I find this hard in some ways because it's really raw to be this vulnerable, um, if I'm honest. And I'm really proud of myself for being this vulnerable. But I definitely think that that focus on, I know I mentioned it already, but Bobby Gibb and Catherine Switzer, like what they did is far more impressive in paving the way for the changing tide of women's marathoning. And I stand on the shoulders of much bigger giants like Sophie Power and She Races and Mother Org, like these incredible women who have been working tirelessly behind the scenes to try and change the situation. So I'm really proud, I guess, to have the opportunity to be able to be vulnerable and open myself up for criticism. Yeah. I think the irony as well is that they don't realise like how strong a pregnant woman is or a mother is and the fact that you tried several times. So you were like, literally, I'm not going to be denied. <laughs> Like, this is my third time, guys. And also, I have a drama degree as a background. I love creative writing. And I'm a pretty well-educated feminist. Like, I bring the history as well. I've got it. <laughs> yeah. I think it's amazing when you talk about just the, the women that came before, like Bobby Gibb. And there's so many other women we could talk about that came before or came afterwards and were yeah. all influenced. And like, there's still so much work that needs to be done. And like you highlighted correctly, like 
I think one of the biggest things that we need to really readdress, especially in races, is provisions for women, getting more women into the sport and making it feel more a place where it's not just white guys in their split shorts. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, wouldn't it be great if the diversity that we see in our communities was truly reflected in the races that we love? Absolutely. What's the response been like to the open letter? It's been overwhelmingly positive. I guess overwhelming is probably the best response. Um, it has been quite overwhelming. I, yeah, I mean, you mentioned, I, I, I said to you, I, I didn't use any hashtags. Like I wasn't posting this for traction. I was posting it because I just thought the BAA won't listen to me. Um, at least if I just say it out loud, maybe one other person will go, hey, Fiona, I'm really sorry. That's a really rubbish experience. And I'd be like, cool, thanks and move on with my life. Desperately trying to re-qualify for Boston the other side. But the biggest thing that's happened is I've had, I guess, two main responses. The first one is literally hundreds of women have told me that they have had a similar experience, maybe not at Boston, but at other major marathons and Ironman as well would be a big another one that is coming out as people tell their story and feel that my story in some ways has echoes of theirs and that option for someone to have finally heard um, that maybe injustice they felt in the sport that they love. And the other big response that has probably shocked me more is people saying, I didn't know. <laughs> I didn't know that there wasn't a deferral policy. How is there not a deferral policy? Including from people who have run Boston many times. And that is really amazing to me because I thought long and hard about if I should, I, I want to be crystal clear, I was um, seven weeks pregnant when I put my application in for Boston. And so that's one of the things that has caused some controversy online is I was already pregnant when I applied for Boston. And for me, I just wanted the opportunity because I thought I would never maybe get it again to go through that process. It felt like a real honor to apply. And so the people who are saying to me like, wow, I didn't even know that you would have just quietly walked away and maybe never had the opportunity to be a Boston qualifier officially. Um, yeah, I think that's, it's really kind of people to be that honest that they had such an oversight in a race that they loved. Yeah. I mean, it's been amazing to listen to like the responses and one, the support from women um, in the same boat and different organizations talked about. And I think that's incredible. And I think, you know, it's really positive to see groups of people working together to create change but then on the other hand you've got the purists the the people that are like boston is only for me and me and my boston qualifying buddies and that's it if you don't get it in this year this period of time then you're out for everyone i, I imagine that must be quite hard to sort of deal with those types of not so forward-thinking people i think it's i find it especially challenging when it comes from women <laughs> um i don't expect anything of my gender and I didn't post expecting people to come out and say that they agreed or didn't agree with me um I really was trying to write to the Boston Marathon and get them to listen to me um rather than realizing that I was starting a public debate but it is really difficult I think 
some of the misinformation that pervades in what my experience is like pregnancy wise there seems to be this common belief that um you click your fingers and you're pregnant and you're definitely pregnant for nine months and everything will go well I don't really when I talk to people honestly behind closed doors know many people with that experience pregnancy is really hard and it's really difficult and it certainly for me wasn't a a click my fingers and it happened and that's okay. I'm very comfortable with the place I'm in now and I'm delighted to be in that space. But I think that's probably the thing around choice I find incredibly difficult. And the idea that people wouldn't want to see a truly diverse start line, I find challenging. Yeah, absolutely. I'll touch upon it and I don't expect you to expand on it further because I know it's quite a personal thing. But you're right, I think having a child isn't as straightforward as you think it will be in later life. And, you know, when people say it's a choice, like it's something you thought, okay, let's have a kid. Okay, it's going to happen in this period of time. You know, I don't know many people that's happened for them in that way. Sometimes it takes people longer. And they, it's almost unfair to kind of make it seem like it was as easy as that. Boston baby, okay, I'll take both. <laughs> and I think that's that's what's interesting, isn't it? The Probably the comments that upset me the most are um, the ones where people say, you chose to have a child over athletics. Um, I find that really difficult because for me, running is a part of who I am. It's my community. It's a massive part of my identity. Boston is an incredible wedge of that, that I feel I should be as entitled to anyone to earn a spot if I'm able to prove the dedication and hard work and effort that goes into it, and I feel I have earned my spot, I just can't use it this year. <laughs> That's fair. I mean, playing devil's advocate, and this is not what I believe, but for those people that would say, Fiona, when you signed up for the race, it did say clearly, we have a no like deferral policy, regardless, no grey areas, it's black and white. What would you say to those people that would come back to you with that argument? I I think there's two things. The first one is if we continue that line of logic, then we're still in 1897 and we're still experiencing Boston with an all-male, all-quite-privileged start line. And I don't think that's what any of us want. And I think even Boston is able to tell stories of the errors that it has in the past around not including people. And that would be true of many other marathons. Like if we look at the history of Comrades, say which, you know, is me moving into ultras slightly, but that speaks to change that has truly happened and a change that has happened that has been far more political and far more global than just a race. I think that matters and we can't separate that. I do also passionately believe that this affects the majority of half of the population, this issue, um, And yet we're talking about a minority of numbers. So we're talking about feelings and walls and spaces that we create where we say to women that they aren't welcome or that chunks of their life should somehow not include sport or sport in an excellent way or trying to stay fit and healthy even, which at the same time the NHS is desperately trying to tackle getting women to be active in pregnancy. We're also saying to them, how dare you be? Um, I think it's really important that we think about the consequence of putting these additional barriers in place as a wider society, when actually the consequence is probably 
40 women we're talking about. I don't think, I would love to be proved wrong, but I don't think there's armies of pregnant women desperately trying to steal slots for the 2024 Boston Marathon. But how cool would that be if there were? <laughs> yeah, it's like 20,000 plus to women, pregnant women. Like, we're done now. Oh, no, <laughs> here come the pregnant women. <laughs> oh my gosh, yeah, it's so territorial. It's just crazy. And I think you're right. You know, we need to kind of bring things into present day times because when you think about, for example, London Marathon have changed their policy, Berlin Marathon changed their policy, and that's through some of the work with Sophie, as we've mentioned, mm. which has been really positive. So there is kind of pressure on them. And like you're saying, like when you think about the numbers, like say 40, but then even we think wider than that, I don't have the exact figures to hand, so don't shoot me down anyone. But it was my understanding that the application for this year's Boston, the numbers that actually applied were a lot lower. So when you think about it in, in a global situation, like if that's happening, say this year, last year, then the numbers are quite small anyways. And you think how many people run marathons globally anyways, why are people kind of just getting so stressed about very small figures? When you think about, no respect, like when you look at these races, how many spaces they give to sponsors, how many spaces they do for like the, these kind of wider things. So you can't tell me that like 40 plus women are going to like break the system and uh, Hopkinson are going to be like, all the residents are going to be like, no, <laughs> we're full capacity, go home. <laughs> Yeah. And I mean, even even in 2023, so Kate Carter, who is brilliant and often speaks very publicly about um, gender issues in racing, yeah. uh, she published the stats of who is registered for Boston, and it's 43% women this year. So, I mean, there's space. <laughs> I, I would argue like there is space for us to make these start lines more equal. One of the big problems as well is that we've not been collecting baselines. So we don't know how many we're talking about. And that's true of all diversity across running as a sport. If we're not starting from a baseline knowledge of what currently exists, how do we know what truly, what does or doesn't need to change? And by people like me in the past having to say that pregnancy is an injury ugh, on the insurance box, I've not even been allowed to say that I can't run Boston because I'm pregnant. I have to say I'm injured, which... I find just so overwhelmingly infuriating. And can we just touch on that point about insurance as well? Because you mentioned, you know, I appreciate when you apply for Boston, you've, you've got the, the fee, which isn't cheap. And then you've got all <laughs> the costs that go involved with flying out there and accommodation. And accommodation even close by is so expensive. So it's not like, I don't know who you, depending on the person, but you know, it's not like pocket change. It's a significant amount of money that you've got to save to go then. If you lose that, you know, you've got to say that all again. Were you able to get any of that money back through the insurances? So um, just to, to be crystal clear about what has happened. <laughs> so um, I was denied within three hours, my insurance claim. And the email that I got back from the insurance company was very black and white about that. It does state in the Boston Marathon insurance, because you have to buy the specific Boston Marathon insurance, which I did. <laughs> it does state that all forms of pregnancy will be covered. So just to be clear, when I signed up, knew I was pregnant, but bought insurance, believed that I was covered under the rules. The insurance company, since my open letter, has rung me very kindly at the weekend um, and ensured that my insurance claim has gone through apologized and said that that would be rectified if that was the case of for someone else and in the future that's really positive but sometimes it's slightly annoying that you think it's got to go that far for it to make that change you know 
I really want to believe the good in the situation, but um, I don't think many insurance claims happen on a Sunday night after you instantly got rejected. I think there is huge power and I'm massively grateful to everyone who has shared it on Instagram for the impact that that has therefore had, especially for me, if it creates black and white framework that others can copy, that's really helpful as well. And doing my, some of my research, actually, before talking to you, I was looking at someone called Alicia Patterson, and she wrote an article for, for Stylist, and she was talking about the same type of thing, and I don't think it progressed any further. And it just goes to show that it's been so much work that's happened before. I know we talked about Sophie as well. Can you talk a little bit about the influence and maybe even the collaboration work that you're doing with other parties to try and um, influence change? Obviously, we're talking about Boston, but potentially wider. No, it's really... This stuff really matters to me. So, and I don't, the whole point of this open letter for me is that I'm not special. Um, This is something that other people have experienced. And, you know, Alicia and I have been actually talking in the last week about since I posted, people put me in contact with her and said, did you see what she said last year? And I'm really grateful for the vulnerability that others have shown and the time that they've invested before me to mean that, Now, we're still somehow reaching thousands of people who didn't know this, who believe that change needs to happen, because nothing changes if nothing changes. Um, And it, for me as well, Boston is so crucial, because if Boston does bring in a deferral policy, I feel that the pressure that will be forced upon New York and Chicago, and then one has to hope Tokyo, will create such ripples and we, we're not very good, I think, often at challenging the norm. We just accept that, well, that's the way things are. So, you know, you rightly mentioned earlier that people have been saying to me, well, you knew that there was no deferral policy, so why would you even start this conversation? Um, but that same logic is the thing that meant that, you know, it's only, it's only 1984 that women started running in the Olympic marathon. I'm delighted to say that my uterus has not fallen out from running 17 marathons. But that wouldn't have been the popular opinion in the 1950s. So we we have to challenge and push and force progress. And that's only done by collective means, because ultimately one voice has no power. It's only successful when it comes as a chorus. Yeah. And I know you spoke about the importance of women getting involved and sometimes there's been women that haven't supported as well but how can men support because people might be listening to thinking oh you're cynical it's a guy talking to a woman how do you know and honestly I don't know but the thing I think about is I've got a daughter and I want her to if she wants to get involved in the sport she can if she chooses not to but I want her to feel like it's a place that she can be a part of without impacting other areas of her life and so I guess the the two things you can do are be vocal It's all very well to sit and just like something, um, but to actually stand with someone, sometimes it's as simple as just saying, I agree with this and this is not going to be my experience. Like I'm not going to be a birthing person, but that, that seems right to me. I would also say that She Races is an amazing resource and there has been a set of guidance for race organizers that She Races has produced that uh, has been collectively Uh, fed into by thousands of women as to how to make races more accessible and to change the future. There's a number of race organisers that are already signed up to that, but there's a huge amount in the UK that aren't. And so the next time anyone enters a race, 
if your race organizer that you're looking at isn't part of the she races guidance why not send them an email and just say that that's something that matters to you because I totally respect that having tampons at a race start line is not going to be something that you need but it might be the difference between someone else who is on that start line having a positive experience and not Um, and that's a really easy way to if you don't know how to navigate the complexities that maybe are some of the gendered issues going into racing just to say to a race organizer have you considered signing up for the she races guidance I think it's quite good this matters to me I looked at that when I was signing up for your race yeah I think that's really important and I think they're doing phenomenal work and I guess it ties into my kind of thoughts like we obviously know from this conversation what your thoughts are in regards to Boston and in regards to adopting she races policies into races and, the, and have the way they move forward but I don't know if is there, is there anything that we've not covered that you'd want to see in terms of other changes in terms of sport I think one of the things that I've found the most disappointing in this is that the sponsors haven't called to account the, the race organizers Adidas is currently running a campaign um, including here in London with Adidas Runners London called with women we run And as they're the lead sponsor of Boston, I find that quite painful. And I think there is such strength that can come from certain individuals to put pressure on race organizers. And I would just really urge anyone who is listening to this who does represent or have power or sway at a brand to consider the partnerships that exist and the change that they can bring about by being the sponsor in that situation. Yeah. I agree, but you sometimes see, especially with brands, that they're pussyfoot around challenging issues. Are we in? Are we out? It's like a very vague message, like we run as one, or we, you know, something. We, we we're together as one, but that's where it ends, and it never really goes further than that. Yeah, or they're um very keen one minute to support, say, black trail runners in the UK, and to show and highlight the amazing diversity that that organisation enables while at the same time continuing to support races that are overwhelmingly white. It's just, it's so simple to have power and influence if you are connected to a brand. And I would love to see the brands just challenging a bit more the norm that race organizers are setting. I agree. But I think the wonderful thing that I think has come about from what you've done is just seeing how many people have got involved from the everyday runner to the pro athletes to everyone and everyone's just kind of putting pressure and that's just a beautiful thing to see and just going back to something you said in the conversation you know it's like sometimes you think like, why is this all so slow so you've got like london berlin and the, the other majors are kind of seeing this happening like why is it taking them so long to make that change are they waiting for their own you know someone else in a similar position for them to like say what you said for that to them to make a change like why is it I don't know it's frustrating and I guess I would hope you know Boston is such it's not just a mecca for us is it it's it's the 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 daddy of the majors I do feel you know obviously I guess the big exciting news is the rumor that we've heard is that a deferral policy is coming and it's coming sooner rather than later And it will be in place for women who were due to run Boston this year, which should it happen, touching every piece of wood in my house will be amazing and transformative. 
And I think that the pressure that that will cause for New York and Chicago, and then hopefully Tokyo to follow suit will be overwhelming. And it's worth saying that in like interesting things have been happening anyway. New York last year was really radical in terms of not not something that I currently need, but they had specific breastfeeding stations and support for breastfeeding runners. Um, weirdly, it was something they chose not to speak about very publicly. It was a very quiet, whispered conversation. Um, perhaps they were worried about the impact that would have on someone who couldn't use a breastfeeding facility. But there is, there's clearly individuals within these organizations who want to see change and who are making small steps that have dramatic life-changing impacts for other people participating in the races. We just need more of that groundswell of support to see the toppling of some of these formerly, I would say, male-centric rules that are in place. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And just going back to what we said at the start of that sentence, I think hopefully we get some positive news following this. And yeah, I think the work that you've done is incredible. I know we've spoken a little bit about it before, but what can people do to support the work that you're doing now and even some of the wider things? I know we spoke about she races, so I'll put the links in, in the podcast as well. But is there anything else that we've not mentioned that people can do to support you? I guess for me, it's really not about me. It's about the other women that I'm representing through this. Um, and so, yeah, I definitely point you towards She Races or And Mother Org, which is um, the American version that's been doing incredible work specifically around breastfeeding support at races as well and postpartum. But yeah, I I appreciate as well and just want to recognize that every person who has hopped onto Instagram and written something positive or sent me a nice note it is overwhelming um and to be going through an experience where it feels it felt anyway like the running community had suddenly shut its doors to me and I didn't even know I didn't get the memo that being pregnant meant I somehow wasn't a runner to feel that the running community has jumped on board and told me that I'm a core member has been just the most humbling experience and I'm hugely grateful for it but I think yeah it's amazing to to hear that to be honest there's such power in somebody just saying, I stand with you and I see you. And I guess that, that that challenges all of us that we can keep doing that when we see other people being vulnerable online or speaking of experiences that have been difficult or less than positive. Yeah, definitely. And I think, yeah, there's so many sort of different things that people do talk about online and yeah, to, to get that support. I think such um, if you read some of the comments, it's, it's amazing to see. Before we kind of wrap this up, what's your uh, Instagram handle so people can sort of see the outcome and hopefully see what's happening next? I'm at English Runs. Awesome. Fiona, thank you for being a guest on A Runner's Life and uh, thank you for raising such an important issue. So I know there's been so many women before, talking about Alicia as well and so many other women that even come before that. But yeah, I think you were all amazing. So thank you. Thank you, Marcus, for taking the time to host this conversation and for asking the difficult questions as well. So appreciate it. Thank you for listening to this episode of A Runner's Life podcast. If you've enjoyed this conversation, please do subscribe to be notified of new episodes. If something resonates with you, please let me know and share online. Also, you could do me a massive favor by leaving your review on the podcast platform which you selected as it helps the podcast grow. Your support helps make this podcast possible. If you've got any questions, please do get in touch with me on my Instagram page at Marcus underscore runs. Your time is valuable. Thank you again for sharing your time with me.